I finished college and actually got an internship, not a full-time job at, at Goldman because I wanted to travel for a year and I had this specific crazy idea of wanting to go to the South Pole. And the way to get there, I got hired as a dishwasher to wash dishes at the research station there. That's Chris Hulls, co-founder and CEO of Life360. Life360 is a family safety app with over 25 million users that offers you peace of mind with location sharing, support from live agents, and immediate access to 24-7 emergency dispatchers. On this episode of Think Like a Founder, Chris joins us from his home in a small town called Point Reyes, California, where his office is under a large tree alongside his own chicken coop. During our time together, we talk about going to the South Pole, driving a tractor on his lunch break, and how he didn't actually want to be a founder. You grew up in Point Reyes, which is outside of San Francisco to the north. It's a beautiful place, and it was considered quite rural at the time. Fake rural. Was it fake when you were growing up? No, it was uh, ranchers were ranchers for ranchers' sake and to give people like the milk for our cereal, but now it's uh, the artisanal she-she cows whose feet never touch the ground for fancy San Francisco restaurants. But when you were there, when you were a kid, for example, your high school only had 200 kids in the whole high school. And what was it like growing up in that environment and culture? It's all I knew. So when you're a kid, all you know is all you know. I wanted to get the hell out of town for a while. I think I liked it when I was a really little kid. Then as a teenager, I just wanted to, to flee. And I joined the military. And then uh, after I got sent to Arkansas and Texas, I realized I, had to, I had a pretty good deal growing up. Now the place I'm at right now is literally next door to the house I grew up in. So I've went full circle, but the town has changed. Chris's parents are both immigrants. His dad is from the UK and his mom grew up in China. As a kid, his dad was an entrepreneur and ran his own businesses. Even though he ended up as a founder himself, Chris, when he was growing up, didn't exactly want to follow that path. Why was that? Too much risk. He always had a lot of cool, fun projects, but especially in the maybe second half of my childhood, money was tight. And uh, I remember that seeing, I always thought he wasn't into money per se, but it was always, you could, he's a very enthusiastic, excited guy, which I am not, but just never quite came in in a big way. Uh, And just seeing that up and down and feeling stuck. And we weren't poor by any means. It was just, but it was rocky and it got worse, not better. And uh, maybe I have a bit of that immigrant kind of echo. Um, and uh, I just wanted something that would be stable and comfortable. And uh, although I was always starting little businesses growing up. So in, in some ways it was in the genes, and, but I was trying to avoid it. It was eminently predictable. It was probably a little more odd that I ended up at uh, my first job at a college, Goldman Sachs. So that, that was probably a little odder. Give us a little a history of, um, how you started, because I know it's a great story. The Life 360, for people who don't know about it, we're the now the world's largest family app. Our core features location sharing. We have this big North Star around just being like Facebook's for friends, LinkedIn's for professionals, Life 360 is for families. So today it's an app, bunch of safety features, location sharing, whole membership around like get help in a car crash. If your identity is stolen, we help you. If your kid drank the Tylenol, what do you do? We can help you with all of that. 
but the initial seed was inspired by Hurricane Katrina, helping families reconnect after major emergencies. And this was like pre-smartphone. I was uh, in school at Berkeley at the time, wrote V1 of a business plan. I finished college and actually got an internship, not a full-time job at, at Goldman because I wanted to travel for a year and I had this specific crazy idea of wanting to go to the South Pole. And the way to get there, I got hired as a dishwasher to wash dishes at the research station there. And then a week after I finished my summer at Goldman, I got the job offer to stay full time. I had a physical to go down there. They found a tumor in my neck for my physical to go to the South Pole. And uh, flash forward ahead, I'm fine. I'm here now, obviously, but didn't get to go to the South Pole. So I'll go one day. Uh, But they said I had a possible form of thyroid cancer. It was a really bad kind. And turned out they were completely wrong. And I was basically okay. And they caught it really early. But I had all this downtime. I had gotten into HBS for business school. And then when people think you have cancer, everyone's extremely nice to you. And I said, I can't go to school and I need, can I give time? And everyone says yes to everything when they think you're in that situation. And then as quickly as they thought something was really wrong with me, I was fine. And then I was like, well, I better, I got nothing else to do. And I got into Harvard, which is a pretty cool backup plan. So why don't I, why don't I just try this business? And then uh, one thing led to another. And now at this point, 12 years later, here we are. So that's how how fate caught up with me in the end. And congratulations on being the number one family app. That is so cool. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, now over 25 million active users and we were on track for 100 million of revenue this year. COVID slowed us down a bit on that, but back to it and the world is slowly returning to normal. Throughout history, there have been innovative flips of what humans do to supposedly make the planet better. Do you feel like an innovative flexion point coming? The biggest innovation periods have come after huge wars. So if you think of like what came out of World War II, which was a followed up from World War One. So the more ways people have to kill each other, the faster technology improves, which is kind of morbid and depressing. But I think the jokes aside around that, I think COVID has been like a war in the sense that like we had this huge shock and we have to deal with it. And uh, if you think about how the whole world has been forced to move digital and all these social norms completely changed and went away and there is going to be unrest and shifts and changes, it's probably that creative destruction. And, and, and that does seem to be tied with big advancements in AI and uh, I don't know if we're having the singularity, but it certainly seems like we're moving quickly. I think what happens over the next year will be very telling. The one thing I'm very adamant about and need to figure out is if we do stay in this remote world or a hybrid world forever, uh, we can't bifurcate individual meetings and have some people remote, some people in person. Um, Because when I think about why why couldn't we always do these Zooms and why was it frustrating when we did meetings and half the people would be on Zoom before COVID? It's because half the people are on Zoom and then are they going to be there in person? And then they're second-class citizens where right now I'm having to look at the screen and even though Maureen, I'm talking to you, I can see everyone else on the call and it's sort of like we're level playing field. We're all equal now. What do you think it takes to be a good leader, successful, efficient, productive, What are the qualities that it takes to be a good leader? I will share what I've observed from the early stage side is that people quit very easily and you have to be persistent and aggressive and maybe even a little stubborn. You usually hear this overnight successes, but if you look at the funnel, it's pretty pretty abysmal. 
And there have been many times we could have easily been a statistic early on and we just, I'm stubborn. I wasn't going to quit. And I, and I know that worked for me very well. I think it's less relevant now, but maybe that would be a common thread at the very early stages, short of having just tons of money thrown in your lap, either because your family's rich and those people are, you got lucky. Most founders are mission driven. It's not just about making money. It's not just about successful or title, but there is something about what they do that they do want to have impact. I am not mission driven, but I think I'm maybe the exception that proves the rule. I'm glad we're doing something I feel good about. I didn't start this just to get rich. It was more I saw an opportunity and and it was just a good idea, but I did not start this because I felt I was embarking on a noble mission. We are trying to do right by the world and win in good ways and surround ourselves with good people that will put their integrity before, before anything else. I asked Chris what he wishes he knew when he started Life360 over 10 years ago. I wish I had better mentors early on because I didn't come from tech. I actually talked to people that were like at Goldman Sachs, who would have been great if we're trying to go public, uh, but useless in the early stages. Actually, had like negative quality feedback. I mean, the financial model we built getting started was like 10 times more robust than anything we have now as a public company. And I realized just how much of a time waster it was. Things have also changed, as you've seen uh, just in the last 10 years, that there is so much more out there in terms of resources around what to do, especially doing technology companies. It's not nearly as black box as it was a decade ago, Um, like YC and everything just being extremely open. But I still wish, and I bet it's applicable even now, like finding a couple people that you can be really deep with who are going to know you well enough to guide you and not have to listen to everything they say, but we just did so many things fundamentally incorrectly at the early stages. And that would have helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Don't want to be super tactical for people doing anything technology or software. Do not outsource, period. Don't do it. Seriously, don't do it. It seems like the cliche business guy's mistake of the day. I made the mistake and the next generation of people make the mistake and they just do not get how hard it is to build software and it gets harder, not easier as you get bigger because like you're, it's so much easier to build the first pro- version of the product than the second and the third and the fourth. And eventually it's like you're rebuilding a plane as it's flying. And that's why you see these companies that think, why, why is it so hard to have this little dinky app? Why do they need a thousand engineers? And it's because like, imagine you're building a plane when it's flying and you have to build a new jet engine on a plane that's in the air. So if you outsource and don't have a good technical team for a business and you're a business guy, you're just dead in the water. I'm sure you can find some exception somewhere, but it will be that exception that proves the rule because it's such a rare, rare thing. So there's my very tactical advice for someone who was like me coming in, non-engineer and making that mistake. So there, I, I saved someone two years of pain. And I do notice a lot of people are looking for the formula for their startups. And that you do a test, you learn, and the Lean Startup obviously became like a very successful book and methodology my advice to, to some people is there is no formula. And I think the people that are kind of coming in that they always got A's in school and they got into the, did great on the SATs and then they got the job at Google. Like they've always said like, here's the hoop to jump through and you jump through it. And if you work hard enough, you do it. When I see that, I worry for people starting their own things. I think it's a very hard way of starting a business. And I think when you look at a lot of the things like the Lean Startup, it was actually much more relevant to people who are more naturally crazy founders who needed a bit of that process and structure versus for people who naturally gravitate to it, who then just go to a really far extreme. So I think it's a lot 
harder than people think. I know that's a cliche to say, and it's not harder that like, given you have to be smart, but I think the maybe messier is better than harder because mm-hmm. people are hard. And when you don't have money, it's hard and you get a certain type of people and then person, and then you get more money and then that causes other problems. And then it's just, it's just a mess. And I don't think people realize how much of a mess it is. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe going back to that structure question that more established companies and more stable companies, it's, it's less messy. So maybe that's the takeaway, like be, be ready for a ton of mess. I think there's a difference between a founder and an entrepreneur. So a founder you know, just has this idea and so a bit reckless and learn to be relentless. An entrepreneur does have a formula and does follow it and can be very successful and do really good things, but it's a different, they're coming from a different place. Like crazy people do need process. Maybe the process people need a little bit more of the intuition or the crazy. What do you think? I don't have a good answer for you on that one. One thing um, we talked about when we were preparing for this interview is like leader versus manager. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's sort of relevant. Like you can be being a very good leader is very different than being a good manager. And maybe that's sort of the bifurcation you're talking about where a leader could be a mess and chaotic and a terrible with people, but just gets things done and through sheer will rallies the troops, doesn't say no. Whereas a manager can be a terrible leader and extremely well organized and bring things through a process and shepherd things along, but they might not be a good leader at all. And I think people are naturally good leaders, not necessarily good managers and vice versa. Um, some people are both, but I'm, a founder might not have some of these characteristics of the process in the organization, but they, it's just who they are. Are you a better leader or a better manager? I started as a better leader and I probably wouldn't have said that about myself earlier, but when I say better leader, I wasn't like necessarily like rally the troops. I was in the military and I was not cut out for leadership there at all, but I am someone, if you give a problem, I'm just going to figure it out and do it well. And want to succeed and that has had to come a long way and also develop a little more of the attaboy type leadership side which I didn't have day one so I was the more results oriented leader which was not necessarily a method to it in a lot of ways I had bad leadership qualities but things would get done and maybe that goes back to your founder versus entrepreneur like I would just I'd always find a way to get it done maybe not gracefully maybe through sheer willpower which is also where I hit plenty of scaling walls What do you mean by that? You can only have so much of you. And I know a lot of, well, this is not even a founder thing, but employees I see as they're trying to move up in their careers. I think everyone understands at some level that you need to hire people better than you. You can't be doing their jobs. But I see the fail case time and time again that people do the jobs of their reports and then they can't ever get ahead of themselves and they're playing constant catch up and then they don't succeed. And the way that manifests itself is definitely different at different levels of seniority, but it's a constant trend and theme. So I I certainly struggled with that. And I think a lot of good zero to one people really, really struggle with that because it's the only skill set they really had to to win up to get the seed stage in particular, even series A, it's just willpower. That is such an interesting point to learn how to be able to scale, which means that you can show somebody how to do something, teach somebody how to do something, and then follow them as they're learning instead of taking it back and doing it yourself. That's a really hard thing to do. 
the absolute best manager, leader, whatever you want to call it, best boss, let's say, will push their reports really hard. They'll challenge them, but they won't do their job for them because the person's good and if, with the right pushing and guidance, they succeed. I think the next best boss will step in and do their job for them and they will micromanage when they need to. The worst boss sees an employee failing and does nothing because they're trying to be a good manager. I see actually more people falling into that number three camp. Really? Okay. I think so, yeah. I fall into the number two camp. And if you weren't doing this particular thing, what would you be doing? Is money an object or not? Because that is, unfortunately, if, you're, if you weren't born into money, you have constraints. Say money did not matter at all, what would you do? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of having fun having a property and digging ditches and building stuff. I have long had fantasies of doing something more academic. Most of my pleasure reading is kind of lightweight academic stuff. So I just feel sad that I just was the business guy and I didn't it's definitely intellectual in some ways, but it's, I think, different than really trying to push the frontiers of something. I'm very introverted, so I kind of like that. I might be completely deluding myself. The quiet academic thing appeals to me um, in some weird way. I have an office under a tree. I can't beat that. And I have a tractor for my lunch break. Which is very cool. That was Chris Hulls, co-founder and CEO of Life360. Life360 is a family safety app with backing from Facebook and Google. They offer families peace of mind with a range of services from emergency travel arrangements to disaster response and on-call medical resources. Next time on Think Like a Founder, I speak to co-founders Britt Morin and Ange Temple. Together, they're the team behind Brit & Co., a digital media company with online classes and products that seek to inspire and educate women. We talk about how they met on a couple's blind date, the yin and yang of their co-founder relationship, and how creativity is an instinct we all have. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Schell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena, Persiani Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barra.